Father, we're grateful for um, your love for us, grateful for um, your steadfast care and faithfulness um, to us. Uh, we're thankful for the way that you've given us um, this day of rest and worship. We pray that you would um, be merciful to us, that your spirit would dwell near to us as we gather um, in about an hour um, to worship you. And we pray um, that you'd prepare our hearts now during this time of Sunday school. And we ask for your blessing. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, Paul Buckley is out of town today. Um, he is with Sarah, his wife, um, visiting um, her parents in St. Louis who live in a retirement home there. Um, it's her mother's birthday, and so they're um, with her this weekend. Um, so just to give you a kind of um, sense of where we're going in terms of Sunday school, um, I'm filling in today, and I'm going to take a minute or take the, the day to kind of share my testimony and life story with you all. Um, I'll say more about that in a minute. Um, uh, next week, Paul will conclude the series that we've been doing on teaching us about singing the Psalms, chanting the Psalms. Um, that will um, come to an end next week. Um, then the first Sunday in November, uh, we'll enter back into a time of um, theological instruction using the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, I'll be teaching through um, that document. Um, and we'll jump back into there where we left off last spring. Um, and so that'll be sort of the plan moving forward. Uh, we will, though, um, moving forward, beginning the first Sunday in November, um, dedicate the last 15 minutes of each Sunday to uh, music. Um, we're going to give Paul an opportunity to teach us different things, to continue to help us grow as a congregation in terms of singing. Um, and so that'll be the plan. And I believe the um, the high schoolers, teenagers will be coming down and joining us for that as well um, at the end of the Sunday school hour from 10 to 10.15. Um, so that just gives you a kind of overview of where we're headed over the next few weeks. Um, I wanted to take today and just share a little bit about my um, story, my testimony, um, my life. I haven't done this for a number of years, um, but I have done it at least once or twice before in my years of ministry here. And so some of you may have heard these things already, um, but um, certainly the story changes a bit every time I tell it, um, and so maybe you'll hear something new. Um, I'm doing this because I think that it's, well, partly just because, you know, Paul's out of town and uh, we needed to <laughs> do a kind of one-off uh, class today. Um, but also I'm doing this because um, I think it's an important practice for us um, as a church um, to be a place where people's stories are known and heard and told and listen to, um, and um, I think there's value in that. Certainly as your pastor, I think there's value in you um, having a sense of my story and the way that the Lord has worked in my life um, in terms of forming me to be who I am in Christ. Um, and also, hopefully, as you hear me talk about um, God's faithfulness in my life um, over the years, it'll give you some things to think about in terms of your own story, right? We all have in this room stories of God's love and care for us and pursuit of us over the years of our life. And, um, and it's good for us to think about that, to, to contemplate um, the unique contours and the common contours um, to our stories um, and, and to really reflect on those things. I think it's a significant part of wisdom is knowing ourselves and knowing God and, and certainly our stories are a place where that takes place. Um, so I was born in 1980 in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I, many ways, my story is not one that's super remarkable. It's a, it's a story of God's grace and kindness. And as I think about it more over the years, as I get older, the more I can see that distinctly and clearly, um, how much of my story um, is about just the faithfulness of God to me in really pretty ordinary and regular ways um, that are not... Um, crazy, just, just normal faithfulness, and I'm thankful for that. So I was born in 1980, Richmond, Virginia, um, the oldest son of Barry and Julia Anderson, who were 25 at the time. My mom was 24, I guess. Um, they had just been married about a year. They got married in 79. Um, mom and dad um, both grew up, I mean, really my story, you know, as many of our stories are, or is connected very intimately, of course, to theirs. Um, to our parents. Um, they both grew up in the mainline Presbyterian Church in Richmond, um, Virginia, um, in the PCOS, as it was known at the time. Um, they were both part of really faithful Christian families, um, parents who took them to church and raised them in the church um, with a really you know, significant part of their life um, being um, life in the church. 
Um, the churches that they belonged to were mainline Presbyterian churches, but faithful ones, I would say. Um, they were not churches that left in 1973 to form the PCA. They stayed in the PCOS. I don't know all the stories of you know, why that was, but, but they were, um, as I attended them at different points in my childhood, and um, you know, they're, they're, they're faithful churches, and in many ways are still faithful churches today, even in the um, more mainline denomination. Um, so mom and dad were baptized as kids and grew up in the church, um, uh, but in their um, college years and early 20s, they um, got caught up in um, the kind of movement that was very um, prevalent at the time, the charismatic movement um, in the late 70s. And so that, that was really important for me because that meant that was the context that I grew up in. I might have grown up a Presbyterian, um, but in God's providence, I didn't. I grew up in the kind of charismatic Pentecostal world. Uh, my parents, um, soon after I was born, or around the time I was born, got involved with um, a church called House of Prayer that was just getting started. Um, it was a non-denominational church. It was a church that was very much part of that um, sort of broader charismatic movement that was taking place um, in the U.S. at that time. Um, and it was starting from the ground up. So they were part of the initial meetings of that church in people's homes and that kind of thing. And as it grew over time, they purchased property and all that. That was a huge part of my life. Um, our family was a part of House of Prayer for um, the first 11 or 12 years um, of my life. Um, and... Um, and that church was a, it was a, you know, just kind of as it grew, it was just everything you think about when you think about a kind of Pentecostal, independent Pentecostal charismatic church. Very conservative, um, but also very informal in terms of its worship. Um, a lot of kind of spirit, uh, you know, uh, movement kind of thing. And, um, and so that was, that was what I grew up with um, in terms of church life. Um, people speaking in tongues, very long sermons, um, you know, worship that was very informal and unstructured and kind of open to the spirit. You know, we'd have some Sundays where you just, you don't know how long church was going to go. Um, it was going to go, you know, multiple hours um, because that the spirit was moving in a particular way, um, at least, you know, in the assessment of the pastor or whatever. So, um, so that was, that was my sort of church childhood was there. And I, I would say I'm really grateful um, to grow, be grown up in the Pentecostal charismatic tradition. Of course, there are significant ways that I would differ now theologically, um, but I am grateful for uh, things that I learned there in terms of an emphasis, a very simple emphasis on the scriptures as being the word of God and being held up as a authority um, and preaching that reflected that. Um, I'm grateful um, for the emphasis on um, a kind of personal relationship with Jesus. Um, certainly there are excesses maybe um, at times in that world uh, in that regard but but certainly I'm grateful for that emphasis of knowing Jesus um, relating to him um, being caught up in a story where um, my, my life is with Christ and I'm, I'm with him and that was certainly a significant um, takeaway for me in those years um, my parents um, as I think about the kind of Christian home that I grew up in very intentional Christian home very deliberate um, in terms of the way that they raised us and um, instructed us. I was um, the first of what eventually became nine siblings. Um, so my parents kept having kids pretty frequently in the years, um, my early childhood and, and on through childhood. Um, and, and so we, um, uh, when my parents were about, my dad started out working with a company called Terminex doing insect um, pesticide. And then he worked for... Um, the county um, of Henrico in there, in their recreation department. Um, but when I was about five years old, um, they began to sense a, a call to Christian ministry in a more specific way. And so um, we did a stint with a group called Youth of the Mission, YWAM, some of you may have heard of, also part of that whole charismatic um, world in that time. Um, YWAM is still around today. But that certainly the 80s were more of its kind of heyday. Of course, Tyler, <coughs> just a couple hours east of here, is kind of the was one of the original kind of centers for YWAM. Um, so we spent four months living in kind of a essentially a Christian commune, um, a kind of YWAM base in Virginia that was an old convent that had been somehow taken over by YWAMers, and um, <coughs> lots of different people living there in this big. Um, you know, just kind of communal um, uh, living situation, uh, which, you know, shared meals and all, the, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then we went and spent two months in England and London. I was about five or six, and my parents did street evangelism in London for two months. And I think at the time, as I understand now the story, they were very much considering a kind of missionary call <coughs> overseas um, for our family, um, which you know I was unaware of at the time, obviously. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about that. I mean, I do remember some, you know, it was a good experience, a fun experience. I remember just very vague memories of being in England as a kid um, from that time. Um, but what happened was my parents ended up um, coming back to Virginia instead of going overseas, and my dad um, was hired at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Richmond, Virginia as their new director. Um, so this was in the 80s, um, so it was a very you know, tumultuous time in terms of the abortion movement and different things or pro-life movement. Um, you know, Operation Rescue was a big thing at the time, and all of that. And so my dad directed a, um, a ministry for women who were in crisis pregnancy situations, who were considering abortion and just trying to have a ministry there that would be connected to the broader church in Richmond um, and providing help and support um, for families, women in that situation particularly. Um, so that was my life um, in my early childhood. Um, we, uh, my dad directed that ministry. Um, it, it didn't um, pay a whole lot, so he also at times had other part-time jobs um, that helped the family pay its bills. Um, and so that was a big part of my life, was just um, seeing him work hard and, and embrace this ministry. Um, and I, you know, I would go to work with him in the office. And um, of course, wasn't like involved personally a whole lot, but but certainly observed and saw my dad do those things and, and also see him going around and speaking in different churches. It was definitely a ministry that was trying to, you know, have churches cooperate and work together um, to support this kind of thing. Um, we lived during that time. We had previously, in my early childhood, had moved around a lot, a lot of different apartments and houses that we had been in. Um, but when I was, when we came back from England, we moved to this house my parents rented in the country of south of Richmond. Um, it was very rural. Um, it was an old family land that somebody had owned and had a house that was had been there um, since the 19th century. Um, so it was a very old, not in great shape house. It was kind of constantly falling apart. Um, but they were not asking much in terms of rent. They were basically just wanting somebody to be in the house to you know keep it from even further deteriorating. And so the price was right for my parents. Um, and also I think the, uh, you know, there was an appeal of just living in the country in that way. So I grew up on 500 acres um, of farmland, um, creeks and a pond and forest and fields with not our cows, but other people had cows in them. Um, and um, so that was, it was really a kind of idyllic childhood in that way, you know, old falling down sheds and barns that we would explore and you know encounter snakes and other fun things in and um and so and i was home all the time because i was homeschooled so um and that was you know of course early in the homeschooling years um most people didn't know what homeschooling was when you would tell them right they would be very confused about um, your schooling situation at that time um and so but it was great i mean it was really a wonderful um, childhood for me those kind of years of six through 11 or 12 um, I had my siblings. Um, there, you know, I have a brother who's 18 months younger, a sister who's um, about uh, three and a half years younger, and then it just kind of keeps going after that. But um, there are a lot of us, you know, kind of just playing together and having fun outdoors. And uh, we would do school in the morning, and then mom would turn us loose, and we'd just kind of be gone um, outside um, for hours and hours. Um, it was a house that did not have modern, um, you know, heating and cooling. Um, so we had a wood stove um, that was the primary source of heat. Um, so the <laughs> that was a big part of my life was chopping wood and uh, lighting fires in the stove, and um, and it you know certainly did not have air conditioning. So um, so warm summers um, in terms of that kind of thing. But you know it's just a really fun uh, place to grow up in. I'm really grateful for that house. It also was large enough that my parents um, uh, were able to be very hospitable. So we frequently, as a kid, had um, family or individuals or family small families living with us that was a very common experience for me as a kid um, uh, you know some of it were moms single moms who had left bad situations um, uh, that needed a place to live with their kids or 
you know, some several unmarried people lived with us at various times. Um, but, but very much, my, that's just sort of the story of my parents in terms of their hospitality and openness to, um, you know, having other people on their turf. That's something I grew up with as very normal um, hosting, hosting folks and having my life um, shaped um, um, in that way. And as I think about things that my parents really um, shaped me in particularly, I was trying to think about this this week, how to encapsulate it. Uh, many of you know my mom and dad. They worship here. Um, at least uh, two or three times a year, four times a year typically um, when they come and visit. And they're very intentional about wanting to come here for two Sundays um, whenever they visit because they really love our church and love to worship with us. Um, so many of you have met them. Um, I think my parents really formed in me a, um, a, a focus on the in institution of the local church. The church was a, a essential part of my life. Um, we didn't miss Sundays. Um, you know, you just went to church. Um, that was just what you did. There was no no uh, consideration, you know, of anything else. And so that, that was a huge, I mean, as I realize, you know, that's one of the most important things I think we can give to our kids is that just fundamental assumption that church is um, what we do as a family. And so it was, it was a very, you know, um, you know, high ecclesiology in that sense. Um, my parents also, I think, helped me um, think about um, what it means to think of your life as having a vocation and a calling. I'm really grateful for that. Um, they never, you know, sold us on the whole American dream idea of you should just sort of conceive of what you want to do and then go do that because that's what you should do. It was, they always, they demonstrated in their own life a kind of um, commitment to um, understanding what the Lord was calling them to do and then doing that as best they could and wanted, taught us as kids, I think, to think through our lives that way as well. Certainly, I got that from them, this idea that my life is not my own, um, that it belongs to the Lord, and uh, my posture needs to be one of discernment and um, submission um, to what he um, is calling me to and to do and to serve. And um, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, influence from them. I think it's been a really, and as, as the years have gone by, I have seen that more and more um, in terms of that influence. They also taught me a real love for the scriptures, which I'm really grateful for. They modeled that themselves in their own study and in their, the times they spent as a family uh, walking through the word, um, both a desire to know the scriptures and to be submissive to them, um, to see the scriptures as um, our fundamental authority. And um, and to demonstrate that in their own lives in terms of their practice. Um, my parents were very conservative, even you probably could describe them as fundamentalists in some ways when I was a kid in terms of the ways that we approach life, but they um, were very non-judgmental of people that were not that way, and that was a great gift for me. They were very gracious and kind um, toward other Christians, toward other uh, people who had different um, you know, convictions. We homeschooled and my parents did that because of religious convictions for sure, but there was never a sense of like, we're doing it the right way and everybody else is, you know, um, missing the mark or, you know, missing the point. Um, and that was, that's a great gift to give your kids, to have um, convictions that you believe in and that you're willing to sacrifice for, but not to create the sort of us against them mentality towards people outside who don't share those things. Um, so that was sort of my <coughs> young childhood <coughs> years and all those years were at House of Prayer, that big <coughs> kind of crazy Pentecostal church and it grew, you know, it got really big, um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people over time. <coughs> and I think that that probably my parents, you know, felt less connected there as that happened, as the church grew. Um, when I was about 12, we left the people who owned the old house that we lived in um, decided that they wanted to do other things with their property, including building a new, um, a new house on the property. And so we lost that as a place to live, which was really sad. I remember being very, very, uh, it was a very tragic thing for me as a kid to lose this um, amazing uh, plot of land that we had explored and built forts and, you know, just kind of made our own um, in a hundred different ways um, over, over those years. Um, but we had to leave, and so we did. Um, and so we moved toward, to Richmond, um, back to the city, to the Henrico County, which is north of the river, and Richmond, the James River runs through 
the city of Richmond. <coughs> so we moved to the north side. Uh, my parents, for the first time, bought a house. Um, so I was about 12 at the time. Um, and so they bought a little house in a neighborhood. Um, and um, it was much smaller. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. I mean, we, you know, all these kids, and it was a tiny little house in terms of just the, the um, uh, you know, it's definitely significantly smaller than the house that my family lives in now. Um, but it was, but it was good. It was a good place to live. We ended up, we were just a few minutes from my mom's parents, um, and then about 20 minutes from my dad's parents. So that was pretty nice. Um, at that time, along with that move, my dad also um, switched jobs. He left the Crisis Pregnancy Center and began to work for a ministry called Set Free, which was part of Exodus International, um, which was a national ministry um, seeking to uh, minister to homosexuals. Um, in that time, that was this had been the early 90s, so you know, kind of the height of AIDS and um, you know all of the all the things, right? Very different world in terms of how homosexuality was thought about and talked about, um, both in the secular culture, but also within the church. That was a very unusual kind of ministry in the early 90s um, to be um, engaged in. Um, so my dad essentially <coughs> helped start that ministry. It didn't really exist before him. Um, and so he, he um, jumped into that and they had you know, little small groups for men and for women and um, uh, men and women who were um, actively living in the homosexual lifestyle and seeking to leave it or people who just struggled with identity um, and temptation and, and um, were all sorts of places. Um, and so my life, you know, it continued that theme of hospitality. Um, there was a very, um, my life was very connected to that ministry um, as a teenager. And so we had um, uh, a number of uh, men um, in my life who were just kind of friends of my father. And as, you know, I sort of realized as I got a little older, oh, these are men who have left the homosexual lifestyle um, through my father's ministry and are now uh, living as faithful Christians. But they're part of our lives. You know, they're at my dinner table. Um, we're, you know, doing things as a family with them. Um, this is a very sort of normal part of my um, teenage life was um, my father being involved in ministry to gay men, essentially, or ex-gay men, um, and, and that being a, a, a thing that we did as a family. Um, and, and I don't mean anything other than that, like not that my dad was doing the inappropriate ways, but it was just, it was just what he was doing. And so it, was, you know, it wasn't like this hidden thing that he did on his own. Um, we were all in some ways um, part of that together. And of course, Part of that is because hospitality is such a, just a, it's been a fundamental marker of my parents' life. And so they couldn't help but, you know, um, invite people into their homes um, who were part of the ministry. Um, so I'm grateful for that. Again, that was a really, I think, special and, and good thing for me as a kid. Um, certainly, um, um, yeah, it shaped me in all sorts of ways as I think about mission, as I think about evangelism, as I think about hospitality. Um, during that time, we, because House of Prayer was very far away at that point when we moved to the north part of, uh, northern part of Richmond, um, and also, as I found out later talking to my parents, I think they were sort of growing a little less um, enamored with some of the practices of the church. Uh, we shifted our church um, life uh, to a church called Christ Presbyterian, um, which was a PCUSA church at the time. Um, it is now part of the ECO. And um, a very odd PCUSA church, though. It was very charismatic. Um, I don't know that, th I mean, there's probably not hardly any churches in the PCUSA like this. But very charismatic, not Reformed. I did not learn Reformed theology there <laughs> at all. Um, but, you know, lots of speaking in tongues, very informal worship, uh, people having, and I remember this more clearly because, you know, I was a teenager when we were there. Um, than I do in my childhood church. Um, but, you know, people regularly standing up in the middle of the service, well, having time in the service, you know, 10 or 15 minutes every Sunday where people are invited to give, you know, prophecy or um, um, speaking in tongues and then somebody would interpret or not, you know, whatever. It's just kind of a free-for-all in a lot of ways in terms of worship. Um, so that, but really kind people, um, really people that love Jesus. And, of course, I would substantially differ um, with a lot of things um, about the worship um, there now. 
Uh, and yet I'm really grateful for the folks in that church who loved me. Um, they were, um, I was thinking last night, there were three men in particular when I was a teenager. Uh, Chris Walker, who was um, a seminary student and youth pastor at our church. Um, a guy named John Lindner, who was single, um, who just helped out with the teenagers. And the guy named Eric Garza, who was um, a married person. And I think about men like that who invested in me um, and were just kind. And it's not like, and I'm probably a lot of things that they believed, I wouldn't believe now um, in terms of theology, but just the kindness of spending time with me, um, playing racquetball or going out for meals or having me in their homes to do Bible studies. Um, I was a place where I was shaped and formed. Um, I also at that time got involved with a youth group um, there was a group uh, with church um, that was also a really significant formative experience for me. Again, theologically, I'm very far from the Assembly of God now. Um, but there was a man named Carter Goolsby who actually had gone to high school with my dad. Um, so he was a bit older for, you know, uh, someone in that role. Um, but he was just so kind um, to me and invested in me and... Um, he later became the senior pastor of that church and um, recently had to retire because of early onset um, Alzheimer's and dementia, which is just really sad. But, um, you know, he's in his 60s now. Um, but I just think about Carter and early morning Bible studies that we would have um, and, and just good, like, just good Bible studies, just like teaching us, like, you need to get into the word, you need to look at it, you need to understand how it relates to each you know, other parts of the scriptures and... Um, just a man that really, really loved me and invested in me. And as I think about my story, that's the kind of things that I want to emphasize, like these people that God gave me to invest in me and care for me, um, just examples of his kindness. Um, and it, you know, and I haven't spoken to any of these guys in, you know, 20 years probably. Um, and yet they, their impact still shapes me today. Um, and I think that's something to think about as we think about our own gifts and callings and things that we can do for people, um, ways that we can influence folks. Um, so that was sort of my middle, or middle school, high school, teenage years. Um, when I was um, 18, I had gotten into some colleges or whatever, but decided to defer for a year. Um, I was homeschooled all the way through, so K through 12. But I decided I wanted to pursue missions work. Um, I felt a call to some kind of ministry. And so I did a stint with Youth of the Mission um, when I was 18, uh, right after high school. It's crazy for me to think about this now. Um, my parents sent me off and, you know, I um, era, be era before cell phones or internet or even really, you know, long distance calling that wasn't super expensive. So, you know, um, I probably spoke on the phone to my parents like once a month. Um, while I was overseas because it cost so much money. So I lived in Northern Ireland for four months, um, uh, again, in a kind of communal living situation with a group of, there was a women's house and a men's house. Um, um, so I was there for four months doing, going to lectures, doing training, um, sort of a pseudo seminary experience, along with a lot of practical ministry in the community. Um, I was interested in living in Ireland because that was the um, sort of ancestry of my father's side of the family, and that was a really interesting experience in the late 90s to live in Northern Ireland. There had been a bombing that had taken place like 10 miles from the city I was in, you know, where a bunch of people had died. It was, you know, still a lot of conflict between um, Catholic and Protestant groups that were, um, you know, paramilitary groups, basically, um, during that time. You know, we're in this little quaint Irish town and you would be walking around it, little village, and you'd turn a corner and all of a sudden there'd be this squad of like six, um, you know, United Kingdom uh, military personnel and machine guns and, you know, camo and, you know, I mean, there's not stuff I just hadn't seen at all in the U.S., you know, where you don't see um, that kind of military presence. But that was very much that way during that time in Northern Ireland. Things are a lot better now, obviously, <coughs> which is good. Um, so that was interesting experience. I loved it. I lived with a very international community of um, Africans, Australians, New Zealanders, Canadians, um, Scots, um, British, you know, English. Um, uh, lots of folks coming together. Irish guy um, living together in community. 
all different sorts of backgrounds. That was a very formative experience for me. It was wonderful. They also required us to go to church on Sunday, which, you know, that was good. Um, and I was very interested in my heritage, so to speak. And so, um, uh, you know, historically Irish Catholic, um, not in any recent memory in my family. But um, so I went to mass at this little Northern Irish church, um, which was crazy and weird um, <laughs> for me. Um, and they certainly, you know, like nobody ever spoke to me, you know. Um, it, was, it was just an interesting um, experience. It's obviously in that part of the world a very uh, cultural kind of thing um, that people participate in. Um, and then I also went to uh, went to two churches on Sundays. I also went to the Anglican church because I was just interested in the sort of the Protestant world as well. Um, and people were much friendlier there, and, and I kind of got more involved and, and that kind of thing, which I'm grateful for. Um, for me, that time and why, and then we spent two months in Uganda doing evangelism, doing things like open-air preaching, door-to-door evangelism, um, you know, very um, sort of, uh, yeah, just very direct kind of evangelistic methods um, in Uganda, both in an urban area called Kampala, which is the largest city in Uganda, and then (coughs) in a rural part where we worked with the Anglican Church there. Um, So that that was all really fascinating for me. Um, That time was also when I sort of um, realized that I'm just not made to be charismatic anymore. Like there was just so much emphasis on prophecy and on the word giving you, you know, the Lord giving you words and having words for other people and all these kinds of things. And so, I, and, and I got exposed to these more historic forms of worship um, when I was, especially in Ireland, um, going to those churches. And so I came back from YWAM ready to leave the charismatic world. Um, lived overseas for six months, grew up a lot, um, you know, on my own, all of those things, but came back really interested in something else. Um, <clears throat> I, I started at one school called Lynchburg College, spent a semester there, transferred to a school called Virginia Commonwealth in Richmond, went to night class, worked full time, um, didn't talk to anybody at VCU because my whole goal had, was at that point to transfer into University of Virginia. Um, and so I, the Lord was gracious and opened that door. Um, so I went to UVA in the fall of 2000. Um, <clears throat> and as I was going there, my grandfather, who was an elder in the Presbyterian Church, first in the PCUS Church, and then in the mid-90s, um, he had helped start a PCA church because his local PCUSA church had been you know, moving in a pretty liberal direction. So he was an elder also at this PCA church plant, and he told me, this is just kind of one of those life-changing things, you know, God's providence, um, that the presbytery had just, and he was so proud, he never went to college. Um, He, uh, you know, was enlisted in World War II and um, spent his college years in the South Pacific, and um, I don't know that he would have gone to college anyway, but um, but he he was so proud of me going to UVA, and he told me the last presbytery meeting we just called, um, there's this thing called RUF, you know, which I'm sure he had never heard of before, um, you know, that, uh, that event probably. They had just called a college minister to go to UVA and start a new RUF. I should meet him. And so I said, okay, you know. Um, and so I met my first week at UVA, first couple of days at UVA at the campus ministry fair. I found the booth with the RUF thing, and the campus minister had just gotten there himself. Um, he was fresh out of seminary. Um, probably about 24 or 25 or something. And um, I met him and said, hi, my grandfather told me I should meet you. Um, I understand that you get paid to meet with students. I'd love to meet with you. Um, And because I just had had this like experience of discipleship and men investing in my life as being the primary way that I'd grown spiritually. So I was like, okay, here's a guy that is a Christian, um, older, and he gets paid to meet with students. So let's do that. So I, I don't know what he thought about that. I guess he probably was, you know, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I've got a, I got a student to meet with. Um, and um, so we met that fall. His name was Greg Thompson, um, and he became a really, f- just like I said, in God's providence. This is the story of, of course, how I ended up doing what I'm doing now in terms of pastoring a uh, Presbyterian church. Um, Greg was, I didn't know anything about anything about Reformed theology. 
Um, he gave me Michael Horton's book, um, What's So Amazing About Grace, which some of you may have read. It's great. Um, that was really helpful. We, I asked all the questions about election and, you know, evil and problem of evil, all the stuff, right, that people ask and wrestled with him. <coughs> he was very gracious. I started going to large group, which is where they do, you know, basically kind of an informal worship service and um, heard preaching like I'd never heard before in terms of God's grace and kindness and love. And um, not that all my experience have been absent of those things of before, of course, but it was, it was in a fresh and new way. It was a way that was different than I had heard it previously. Um, and it, it changed me fundamentally. Um, I began to really be interested in these things and in growing and um, after my sophomore year of college, I spent a summer <coughs> um, in Africa again, in Zimbabwe, um, doing AIDS education for several months in local schools with a Christian mission group. And the people that I stayed with <coughs> had this massive um, library of John Piper tapes, cassette tapes, like, you know, 400 John Piper tapes or whatever. And they were like, you should, you know, you know, feel free to bar. So I just listened to a bunch of John Piper that summer. <clears throat> and Lord knows I have a lot of disagreements with John Piper now, but um, it was great at the time. It was very helpful um, to hear him preach and um, just, yeah. So I just, I just had a lot of exposure that summer to kind of um, to Piper's preaching. And so slowly just became reformed without even really knowing it. Um, <clears throat> I got involved with the Reformed Baptist Church um, in college during that time, probably through that influence. Uh, but when I realized that they would not recognize my baptism because I'd been baptized without immersion in a Presbyterian church, um, I, I was just like, well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> why, why would I need to get rebaptized um, or baptized for the first time, I guess, from their perspective? Um, so I ended up joining the PCA church there in um, Charlottesville, Virginia, which is called Trinity Presbyterian, uh, which is a great church started by Skip Ryan, who started Park Cities later. Tr Trinity was first in Charlottesville, and then he came to Dallas and started <coughs> Park Cities. And so that was a great place for me to grow as a young Christian or young Reformed Christian. Um, uh, Amy and I met during this time um, at RUF, or not RUF, through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And then we, we did both ministries together um, during those years. Um, and Trinity was a great place for us. Um, we joined at the same time. Amy then came on staff at Trinity and worked there for several years. Um, and um, yeah, and the Lord was just really kind to us during that period. Um, she and I dated for several years and then got engaged. And um, Greg did our wedding in 2003, um, so 20 years ago. Um, and then we worked for a year in outside of Charlottesville. I worked for a small... Um, civil liberties, Christian civil liberties firm and religious liberties firm and Amy worked at the church and um, and we might have stayed there honestly. I had begun to explore a call to the ministry, had come under care of the presbytery um, but we were very happy I think in a lot of ways in Virginia and uh, we we're close you know about an hour from our parents my parents and a couple hours from her parents um, but then um, the ministry that I was working for decided to lay off about a third of their staff um, because of financial troubles. And I was obviously one of that group having just been hired. Um, so it sort of was a come to Jesus moment there. Our first year out of college, we had been thinking about Covenant Seminary. Um, it's where Greg and his wife had attended seminary. Um, and so we had, Amy and I had visited um, that school. Um, and when I lost my job, it just sort of was like, well, Maybe we should just do this. Um, and so we did. So in 2004, we moved um, to Covenant, um, to St. Louis, to go to Covenant. And, um, you know, and the story from there is pretty straightforward in terms of just, I was trained at Covenant Seminary. I didn't, I was still learning so much about Reformed theology and the PCA. And I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, uh, Covenant was a great place for me. Um, academically rigorous, um, great professors, um, learning Greek and Hebrew and preaching and all the things um, was really, really good, helpful experience. 
Um, Amy and I got involved with the church there called Providence very quickly and became members. And then I came on staff part-time. Um, and so we were at that church 10 years um, in total. Um, all of our children, or not all of our children, our first three children were born there um, <clears throat> and baptized there. Um, I, when I graduated seminary in 2008, Providence called me as an assistant pastor initially, and then the associate pastor left to plant a church in St. Louis, another church, and so I became the associate pastor within about a year, and I served, ordained in 2008, served there for six years as um, essentially the second pastor on staff uh, full-time, and of course came here in 2014, um, where um, my story blends with y'all's stories. Um, so that, that kind of gives you a, a, an overview, I guess, of those things and my background. As I think about, you certainly have a very eclectic background um, in terms of, you know, a lot of PCA pastors um, didn't grow up in the ways that I did. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that. Um, I really am grateful for the diversity of my experience in terms of being exposed to other Christian traditions and fellowships and people um, who invested in me over the years. And um, I think that certainly shapes me in different ways today. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. We've got about five, seven minutes. If there are questions, specific questions I can answer, I'll try to do that. Or I can just keep talking probably. Anything, anything you want to follow up on or ask about? Yeah, Eric. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, around 2006, before I graduated seminary, um, there were seven of us that that really sort of came together, um, guys that I was in seminary with, and we started meeting um, annually um, as sort of a, I mean, accountability group doesn't really give it justice. You know, it was that, but it was much more than that. It was friendship. Um, so that was a really part of my, big part of my life for 10 or 11 years. Um, and unfortunately, that group no longer meets, um, hasn't met for four or five years now at least. Um, and I think there are a lot of different reasons for that. I think some of them were unique to some of the dynamics within the group in terms of friendships. And, and also I think it's, you know, you start a group like that in your 20s and people change. Um, uh, two of the guys left the PCA and joined the EPC um, uh, about seven or eight years in. And I think at the time we thought this isn't that big a deal, but it became a big deal. Um, just not for any theological reasons, just they weren't part of, like five of us were in a certain ecclesiastical context and two of them weren't anymore and it just made it harder to keep those friendships going in the same way. So I'm, that's certainly a sad thing for me. Um, I will say that there's one of those guys that I continue to keep up with regularly, talk to about once a month on the phone or every couple weeks for an extended phone call. Um, he's a pastor in New York. He's in the EPC. Um, but there are also local friendships here I have now, which are really great. Um, I have lunch every month with um, Joe Troutman, who's the pastor of Mid-Cities OPC down the road. And then I have lunch um, every month with uh, Brian Davis, who's pastor of Trinity Prez in Fort Worth. And then there are other pastors in the area that I you know, meet with regularly too, but not with that frequency. Uh, regular, so... Yeah, that's a good question. Did you have a question, Mike? <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good, good question. Appreciate you asking that. Yeah, as I look back in my story, um, I was baptized when I was 16, and I have no idea why I waited that long. Um, I regret that. Um, <laughs> Uh, certainly I was in a communion that did not emphasize the sacraments in the way that, you know, um, I think they should be. Um, and that's part of the explanation for that. But, I mean, my parents recount a time when I was like, I don't know, four years old or something, and I woke them up apparently in the early morning and said, I want to accept Jesus. I have no recollection of this, right? Um, but, but I'm told that it happened. <laughs> um, I remember a time when I was um, 
in Sunday school at that House of Prayer church, and there was some kind of thing, you know, altar call sort of thing that happened, and I responded. Um, but, you know, as I look back at my life now, I'd say, although I was not baptized as an infant, um, certainly my parents treated us like there was never this pressure to have some kind of like dramatic conversion experience. It was just, I don't think there was a day, there's a day in my life when I haven't trusted the Lord, you know, um, trust in Jesus. And I don't really have, some people have stories of wandering. I don't really have that. Um, church has been a fundamental part of my life, all of my life. Um, and I'm really great. Basically, I only have four churches to speak of. Um, well, five, I guess. Um, House of Prayer, Christ Prez, which is that PCUSA charismatic church, Trinity Prez in Charlottesville, which is my first PCA church, and then Providence in St. Louis in this church. Um, so that's, I think that's an important part of my story too, right? There's a lot of continuity there in terms of, um, you know, for a guy that's 43 to have really only have five churches in my lifetime is um, pretty good, especially someone who's moved around as much as I have. Um, you know, <coughs> those are four different cities reflected in those five different churches. Um, so yeah, just a slow, gradual process of growing in faith and knowledge of God and no real story of apostasy or wandering or anything, just just your the story I hope that all my kids have when they're 43, which is, I just always love Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, James. Right. Yeah, I appreciate that, James. I mean, certainly uh, we like to, I like to vacation at least um, in places that are really isolated in the middle of nowhere with a lot of land. So there's probably something to that <laughs> in terms of like my childhood and what I grew up with. Um, you know, we'll try to find cabins that are very, you know, isolated um, to go stay in. Um, I think part of this is like just the way that I think through like there are guys in seminary I went to school with that they just had like this really clear like, man, I am, I want to be in like this urban whatever setting or college or I, like the only reason that, I mean, just candidly, the only reason we're here is because we think God called us to be here. Um, and we weren't looking to like move to DFW or Texas or um, I think in 2008 when I got ordained, I felt like I gave my life to the church, and I, I really mean this very candidly, um, and I lost a lot of um, ability to determine what my future was, self-determination. Does that make sense? Like, I gave my life to the church. I got ordained. I took a bunch of vows, um, and my life was set apart, and Amy, I think, shares in this perspective, and obviously... My ordination has a lot of implication for my wife and children. Um, and we're here because in God's providence, um, Eric Pyle was part of the search committee in 2014 and he, we had kind of a mutual connection and he reached out and I was open to a new call at the time and the Lord opened that door, you know? But um, Texas wasn't on my, was not on my bucket list. I mean, I, uh, no offense to anybody, um, um, but I, I mean, I really mean that. Like, I, I see myself as someone under orders in a lot of ways, and um, and I just, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I, that hasn't changed now um, in nine plus years here. I'm here because I think the Lord called me here because a congregation said, we want you to come be our pastor, and I said yes, and that's, um, yeah. So I, I just don't I just don't think about that stuff a whole lot in terms of like what I what I want out of my life. Um, 
I don't know. It's just not it's just not the way I think. Like I'm just this is what I'm doing. And I'm very happy, very thankful to be doing what I'm doing, very thankful. And I'll say, like, in the almost ten years now we've been here, like we're very grateful to be in Texas. I think we really like the area. Um, but it's inextricably, inextricably connected to my call. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. So we're grateful that the Lord called us here. But it is, it's a call more than a, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. All right, I got, we got to wrap up. I'll take one more Darwin and then we'll, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's a good question. Let, let me try to talk to you about that after, because I think that's just a longer question, and we've got to wrap up. I appreciate the question, though. Um, I mean, I think the short answer is there's all sorts of historic reasons why um, Reformed theology has um, been Anglo, largely. Um, but, of course, there, that's not universally true. One of the there's more Presbyterians in Brazil than there are in the U.S. There's more Presbyterians in Korea than there are in the U.S. There's more Presbyterians in Mexico than there are in the U.S. I mean, just if you think about the reform movement globally, um, it is, it's very international and global. Um, and that, so there, there, I think there, there are some ways in which there actually is a lot of diversity within the reform movement, which could, we could talk about. What's that? Kenya, yeah. Let me, um, but I'd be happy to talk more about that. Yeah. Let, let's stand and pray. Father, we're grateful for your kindness to us. Thankful for, um, I'm thankful for your kindness in my life, um, your grace, your mercy, um, your love. I pray that you'd be with us now um, as we prepare for worship. Help us, Father, each of us to contemplate um, our own stories of your grace and mercy and love and um, help us to be faithful. Keep pursuing Jesus together. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.